In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, the Lord be with you. We come together on this rather overcast day to give thanks to God for our blessings, to open our hearts to his word, to be prepared to change our hearts. God of peace, who are peace itself, and whom a spirit of discord cannot grasp, nor a violent mind receive, grant that those who are one in heart may persevere in what is good, and that those in conflict may forget evil, and so be healed. The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Matthew. Peter approached Jesus and asked him, Lord, if my brother sins against me, how often must I forgive? As many as seven times? Jesus answered, I say to you, not seven times, but 77 times. That is why the kingdom of heaven may be likened to a king who decided to settle accounts with his servants. When he began the accounting, a debtor was brought before him who owed him a huge amount. He had no way of paying it back, so his master ordered him to be sold, along with his wife, his children, and all his property in payment of the debt. At that, the servant fell down and did him homage, saying, Be patient with me, and I will pay you back in full. Moved with compassion, the master of that servant let him go and forgave him the loan. But when that servant had left, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a much smaller amount. He seized him and started to choke him, demanding, pay back what you owe. Falling to his knees, his fellow servant begged him, be patient with me and I will pay you back. But he refused. Instead, he had the fellow servant put in prison until he paid back the debt. Now, when his fellow servants saw what had happened, they were deeply disturbed and went to their master and reported the whole affair. His master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you your entire debt because you begged me to. Should you not have had pity on your fellow servant as I had pity on you? Then in anger, his master handed him over to the torturers until he would pay back the whole debt. So will my heavenly Father do to you unless each of you forgives your brother from your heart. The Gospel of the Lord. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Friday marked the 19th anniversary of 9-11, a tragedy whose immensity still affects us and whose implications we are still struggling to comprehend. Today, many in the world are lost, frightened, or confused, 
ideologies of hatred and violence of all kind, unrestrained by reason or compassion, abound. We come together today with all people of goodwill to utter a prayer for the human race that we may find our way. If we never realized it before, 9-11 demonstrated firsthand that life is fragile and that hope begins with the words of Christ who told us, do not be afraid. This is the 19th year of the commemoration of that tragedy. Today, we have more in common with the beleaguered people of the world than we might have ever thought we would. We know what fear is. We don't always have clear answers, but we believe that beneath all the turmoil and violence that makes us anxious is the voice of a caring God calling us to trust him, to fashion a more just and humane world, to remember the victims of violence, to ask God to protect those who protect us, and to dedicate ourselves to a common good that transcends the interests of particular groups or agendas. Jesus came to save the world. That is the very core of Christian belief. And in doing so, he reminded us that we are all members of one human family, that guided by God's Spirit, we can care for one another and make this world the kind of place God intended it to be. This is the only path to real peace. And by following it, we will find our way. We'll have a special prayer at the end of our liturgy today in honor of that anniversary. I have never personally experienced eternity. I have sat through some long sermons from other priests. But I think I know what eternity feels like. Years ago, somebody gave me a jigsaw puzzle, and not just any ordinary jigsaw puzzle, a 4,000-piece jigsaw puzzle, all the same color, black. 4,000 interlocking pieces, and before I gave it to someone else, I believe I had connected three. When completed, the box said, it will occupy a space more than four and a half feet by three feet, and my question was, why? Well, life teaches us things. So what can we learn even from this? Well, I think there are three answers. One, men learn that life is mostly a puzzle. Women learn that somebody's got to clean that up and it isn't going to be me. And people of faith learn that like a puzzle, life consists of many pieces. And finding meaning in our life is in how we put those pieces together. Putting them together, in fact, is much of what life is about. Victims of cancel culture and violence in our cities are struggling today to put their lives back together. On this anniversary of 9-11, citizens of our country are trying to maintain their faith in humanity in the face of inhuman deeds. Even in our families, we have to work to make sense of our relationships. 
the pieces of life don't always fit neatly together, making sense of life's puzzle is in fact what our gospel proposes to do today, to take the pieces that don't seem to fit and show us how they do. If you were to ask people, what is the most popular sin? Perhaps popular is not the right word. Maybe the sin most frequently committed. They might give you any number of answers. Sins of pride. Sins of indifference, sins against purity. And you can make an argument for all of those. They are still very popular sins. But I think they would be wrong. The prevailing sin in the life of most people is refusing to forgive those who have hurt them. It is true of individuals, it is true of families and of nations. And Jesus understood this. He spoke about the need to forgive seven times more often than he ever spoke about the mandate to love your neighbor. In fact, he spoke about it more often than any other theme. We should be grateful to St. Peter for this gospel because his impulsive question led Jesus to share that wonderful parable we hear today. Peter says, if my brother wrongs me, how often must I forgive him? Then he rushes in with an answer, seven times? Because he knew very well that that was more than what the religious laws of his time required. So he was probably expecting Jesus to say, way to go, Peter. You are such a saint. But instead, the Lord corrected him. And in the process, taught us a lesson on what forgiveness really means. Like so many stories of coming out of the Bible, numbers are symbolic. Seven times and 77 times symbolize something. They come from the Old Testament, from the book of Genesis, chapter 4, in a section about revenge, where a character boasts of seeking vengeance not seven times what was done to him, but 77 times for the damage they had received. Jesus turned this on its head. Not vengeance, he said, but forgiveness should be given without limit. This parable on forgiveness has been compared to a kind of play in three acts. Act one, we might entitle mercy. The servant owes a huge sum to the king, so he begs the king for more time, and to his amazement, the king not only gives it to him, He then does more. He tears up the debt. The IOU is gone. He cancels the debt entirely. The servant is stunned. End of Act 1. Act 2 is cruelty. That servant from Act 1 meets somebody else who owes him a mere fraction of what he himself owed. The old translation of the scripture was far more colorful. It said, the second servant's debt was a hundred denarii, the equivalent of about ten dollars. Whereas that first evil servant owed the king ten thousand talents, which would be the equivalent of about seven million dollars. Jesus' audience would have gasped when they heard those numbers. And the point was clear. 
what God has forgiven us for is infinitely greater than anything we will ever be asked to forgive someone else for. St. Matthew describes this servant who had his debt forgiven, how he grabs the other by the collar and he has him thrown into jail and demands something that he himself could not do. This is the essence of unforgiveness. We see so often clearly what others need to do to be better people, but we hardly ever see that we need to do the same thing. If you tell me off, you're being insensitive. If I tell you off, it's for your own good. If I say no to your request, I'm showing good judgment. But if you say no to me, you're being completely unreasonable. If you ask me for a loan and I say no, I'm teaching you self-reliance. But if you refuse me, you're being cheap and unfair. Like King Lear, we regard ourselves as more sinned against than sinning. Which leads us finally to Act 3. And Act 3 might be entitled, The Surprise. We think we've got this story figured out. We think we've got a bead on it. And then Jesus throws us a curve. He has put the spotlight on that unforgiving servant. But here, in Act 3, he turns the spotlight on to the king. Because for Jesus, the king was the stand-in for God. And the lesson was powerful. We will be forgiven only as far as we are willing to forgive. And for a lot of us, that could be a problem. So often we treat forgiveness like some kind of entitlement, like Social Security or our annual vacation. If we need it, we should get it. And so we come to convince ourselves that God automatically forgives. But that is not what the gospel says. In Jesus' teaching, forgiveness is not automatic or cheap. The debt of forgiveness that we owe came at an enormous cost. More than the value of that man's property and his wife's and children. All of those selfish acts, those callous deeds, the friendships broken and the grudges we hold on to and the hurts we lay on others, all the brokenness that we've caused in a lifetime of regret, only one person could ever repay that debt. Only Jesus Christ could save us. Only his love can heal. And so this is not just the story of what the forgiver has to do. What it requires of the one who receives forgiveness is also enormous. It means that we need to be worthy of that forgiveness. And how do we do that? In a word, we must be willing to change. Now there are those who are uncomfortable with this gospel and with this lesson those who have been abusive of others or neglectful or uncaring, who are quick to twist this message of forgiveness. Abusive spouses say to their spouse, you have to forgive me. The Bible says you have to. But they're wrong. 
No one is entitled to forgiveness. It can only come as a gift, freely given. It can never be coerced or demanded. It begins with the acknowledgement that a wrong has been done, and it requires change on the part of the one who has sinned not to do it again. This gospel begs a crucial question. Where does forgiveness begin? And the answer Jesus gives is it's not with the servant who had a hard time forgiving, but with the king who forgave a great debt. Jesus was telling us that this is the root of forgiveness. The king who stands in for God. God has forgiven us. Not because we deserve it, but because it is God's nature. It is an extension of God's love. To do anything less would make God less than God. And that is why our faith challenges us to forgive others, even great things, not because they deserve it, but because anything less diminishes us. It makes us less than what God made us to be. Mother Teresa said the way to peace begins in our hearts, and this, I believe, is where our gospel is leading us. The Roman Emperor Marcus Aurelius added his own insight. Stop talking about what a good person should be, he said, and be one. I fall on my knees to the Fill us, almighty God, with the courage of your Son, that we may bring your forgiveness and healing in all we say and do. Strengthen us in your name, for we pray through Christ our Lord. Let us pray. Bestow on us, O Lord, the spirit of charity, so that sustained by the body and blood of your Son, we may be effective in nurturing among all people the peace he has left us 
for he is Lord forever and ever. We have a special prayer on the anniversary of 9-11. O God, creator of all peoples and nations, hear our prayers for the people of a fallen world longing for your peace. Hold in your loving hands all those who have died as victims of hatred and those who mourn their loss. Strengthen the hand of those who defend us those who bring healing and comfort to the afflicted, those who respond to danger and whose courage keeps us safe. In their name and honoring their memory, enable us, O oh God, to put an end to fear. May we resolve to live lives of integrity, countering vengeance with justice and hatred with peace. In times of darkness, make us sources of your light. Resolve to live as God's people, protectors of freedom and guardians of hope, through Christ our Lord. And may Almighty God bless you, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Let us go in peace to glorify the Lord with our lives.